welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we don't focus on all those new shiny, shiny things for you to buy. Instead, we focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London that we call Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter. I'm one of the co-founders of the Restart Project. And today I'm joined by Dave Lukes, one of our uh, ninja repairers and volunteers. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about the online repair ecosystem, maybe as we'd like to call it. And, well, um, I guess back in the day, there were plenty, plenty of good books. There were books you had on your shelf. There were schematics. There were printed things. Um, and they were great resources. But the Internet has, well, since the beginning, been a gold mine for information on repair, hasn't it, Dave? Oh, yeah, very much so. Even in the early days, you could get information on techniques. I think it took a long while for the explosion in, you know, blow-by-blow blow detailed videos of teardowns and all that great stuff that I fix it does and so on. But even in the early days, if you wanted to know how to solder something, there were... I don't know about videos, that took a while, but certainly there were step-by-step -step instructions on all sorts of techniques. And also some people just transcribed stuff they already had yeah. directly on, you know, onto the network. You said you got a lot of DIY information early on on the internet in the early days oh, of the good internet. Lord, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was amazing DIY forums with people discussing techniques, you know, I'm building an extension, how do I do this and so on. And that kind of thing down to the micro level, including wiring, fixing. And also, I think what I would emphasize is it's not all about the detail, it's about the techniques, it's about how-tos and Thing, encouraging people to actually do this stuff. So if you like the structure of how you repair something, how do you find a fault and so on? Yeah. Um, and at our events, at our restart parties, we, you know, people at venues ask us, what, what do you need, what do we need to provide for a restart party? And often we just say, well, uh, outlets for electricity, <laughs> tables, and we need to get on the internet. That is one of our main yeah. requirements. Can you explain why, Dave? Oh, um, your favorite search engine, mentioning no names, is an amazingly useful tool. If you just type in a random set of keywords related to your problem, you know, broken toaster, model name, something like that, or brand name, it's amazing how much stuff you can get out. And after a while, you can become a bit of a search ninja and you can work out exactly the kind of queries that will get you exactly what you want. Um, not just in terms of that model, but then, of course, in terms of being able to read part numbers on things inside that toaster or whatever it is and say, oh, well, the controller chip is this kind of thing. Maybe I can buy a spare one of those from our favorite online auction site, for instance. Yeah, and I guess when when confronted with a new and you know unexpected gadget or an unexpected problem, um, it is amazing how many people have probably had that problem before us. Um, how many people are there on Earth today? <laughs> yeah, a couple of billion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are no new problems, let's be honest. You know, They're just restatements of old problems. And also... If it isn't exactly your problem, it'll be one damn like it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, so obviously early on there was documentation with photos. We were saying diagrams. There were forums, and those are still really important to us um, okay. today. So, and in fact, you mentioned iFixit. It's a company that sells parts, and they they actually haven't done too much work on video. They're very old school. They like frame by frame images, mm-hmm. um, close ups of devices, and they show you step by step. Um, there are other places where you can get information like that, where you can find schematics. Um, you know, really detailed. Um, diagrams of a circuit. Um, but I would say video really is probably the greatest goldmine in terms of repair, you know, information, insight. Because when you're confronted with a new thing that you have to disassemble or you have to, or you have to just figure out what your mystery problem is, um, video can be oh, great yeah. for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. One thing I would say, though, to be devil's advocate here for a little for a moment step-by-step pictures are really cool when you're actually doing the job. Videos are great for understanding what you're going to do, but then it's really annoying having to pause the video continuously, you know, under a screw. Hang on, he's gone ahead of me. Quick, pause the video. <laughs> yeah. Do the next one. Yeah. So, that, that's actually one of the most frustrating things at a restart party is trying to, like, you've got a 20-minute video, yeah. and you've got to find the little parts on, on sometimes bad uh, internet to try to yeah. find the little section that you're interested in, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> But, you know, that's, again, this is the joy of the internet. How many billion sites are there out there? iFixit is one of many. Yeah. And that has some great step-by-step diagrams. Then you've got some stuff we're going to show you later, in a way, videos. Yeah. So I picked a couple of videos that um, I guess, in a sense, represent um, what we're talking about. Um, We're going to start with a video of a very obscure toaster model that probably is only available in North America. Um, It's a video that was filmed in 2010 on a mobile, pretty poor quality, (laughs) and it represents the kind of the amateur edition, the the video about your obscure device that the manufacturer basically made to end up in the tip, and and your device that somebody else already had the same problem with, and how they went about troubleshooting and fixing it. So I'm going to uh, just start with this video here. This is my Hamilton Beach uh, four slice toaster. It's got these little digital uh, selections here in the front for how dark you want your toast. Goes all the way up to nine and has a bagel button and a frozen button or thaw or defrost, whatever. And then this is a clear, like, push it down, that clear button lights up. And then if you push it, it ejects the toast. That's really the only way you could do it. Well, this side, when you go to push it down, it's not staying down. Okay, so that was the uh, the sound of a toaster not coming up or not staying down. Uh, so that t- tell us about that video, Dave. Like, how many videos like this have you seen at a restart party with about any given broken? Oh, hundreds, hundreds. Literally, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds. You'd be surprised 36,000 people have viewed this video about this obscure, um, crappy little toaster. So, Yeah, well, let's think, assuming that even if 90% of those views are just random people serving the internet who happen to have a fetish about toasters, the other 10% is, well, how's my arithmetic, you know, it's, you know, there's still a few thousand people who got some kind of benefit out of that. How many toasters is that off the waste mountain? 
Yeah, no. So that so that's I guess when when we think about what you can find on YouTube, it's kind of, we think about the long tail. It's all these various. Yeah. It's the long tail of electronics and and, yeah. and and appliances, things that basically will get support nowhere else. That's your last stop. That's your last hope for that toaster for sure. Um, there's a lot else on the internet though that in terms of so you were saying about techniques and skills and so say that you get your first taste of repair through that toaster video you know you you get emboldened by that and you think oh like maybe I can take apart my toaster Um, but then you feel like you need to actually learn some solid skills Um, we wanted to share a couple of videos that are kind of attempting to teach um, basic skills to people on the internet so um, one is from our friends in East London uh, technology will save us and they have a great page on how to solder so kind of the basics of soldering and this is one of the one of the videos on that page it's kind of about maintaining your solder your your soldering iron so here we go imagine your tip is like a pencil every time you write with it it becomes blunt and you have to sharpen it that's what it's like when you solder your tip needs to continuously be kept sharp this is called tinning. To tin your tip, melt solder onto the tip and leave it to warm up for a few seconds. Then, using your wire wool or sponge, wipe off the excess to be left with a beautiful shiny tip. To get a nice clean tip, it's important to wipe your tip like you would butter off a knife. Okay, so um, those those are really well done visually. Also, that so that had a much higher production uh, uh, production value than the, than of course the amateur one we just saw, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was also. It's nice to have those analogies and so on. It's good because if you're approaching a subject like soldering for the first time, what the hell do you do? Yeah, where does it start? What is soldering? Is it magic? So it's nice to have videos that kind of explain in simple terms. Um, and just so that we don't have only from this side of the Atlantic, we, we picked um, from uh, Adafruit, which is a really also famous online retailer of electronic bits. Um, they have a they have a, 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 a section of videos uh, done by Colin, not not by Lady Ada, but uh, by Colin, who's a bit of a character, and he's here teaching desoldering. So this is what happens um, if you maybe need to get a component off of a board or you've done a poor job of of soldering. So oh, and of course here we hear. You get exposed to different uh, accents and ways of talking about electronics because, of course, in North America, it's soldering, strangely. (laughs) Do not know why. Here we go. Your go-to tool for desoldering is the solder pump or solder sucker. Yes, that is its official name. And as the name implies, it uses a spring-loaded plunger to pull molten solder right off the board. To use it, first prime the pump by pressing the plunger, heat the solder by placing the tip against the corner of the joint. Once the joint liquefies, place the pump over the solder and release the plunger. Repeat the process until the component lead is free from the board. So, yeah, so again, that video has really higher production values, and you can also see the soldering joints being liquefied. They had a nice close-up there. Um, and it just basically, for those who might not have someone around who does that, um, yeah. they right away they can see it, and it's kind of demystified for them. Um, another funny one we wanted to uh, wanted to <laughs> to share with you. Dave's already laughing. Um, is this guy called? Well, his channel is called Electro Boom, and he's a real eccentric. This 
this definitely goes under do not try this at home. And he's, <laughs> Don't try this anywhere. Yeah. And he's trying to basically teach the basics of electricity. And he's kind of trying to, well, bring people's awareness to safety, but also kind of like scare and unscare people at the same time, would you say, mm-hmm. Dave? Yeah, that's... Like, so have people respect the equipment, but also realize that um, we can work with electricity. But this definitely qualifies under do not try this at home. So here we go. After all the videos I made, there are some people out there that just don't get it and say it's the current that kills, not the voltage. To prove it to you once and for all, I'll be using my power supply here connected to these wires. This power supply can generate 20 volts, 150 Yes, it generates 20 volts and 150 amps. Let's short it in a more controlled manner. Well, you see when I short it, the voltage goes almost to I was saying, when you short it together, the voltage you can see goes to zero and the current goes to 150 It's hot! The power supply is set to 20 volts and I'm holding the wires with my fingers. I can't even weld with this power supply. Although this power supply can generate huge amounts of current, it can't send it through my body because it's only set to 20 volts. I can't even feel it on my fingers. I like to put it on my tongue, but before that, I have to reduce the voltage to something like one volt because you know the resistance of the tongue is much smaller than the skin. Okay, <laughs> so these are things that you can learn on the internet. Basically, the limits, the uh, how electronic electricity works, and how current works, and some safety limits. Um, and it's I think that's a great video uh, for for the reason that it makes it fun and uh, it does actually teach you about current and voltage. Yeah. Totally, yeah. That's yeah. a kind of a cult channel, I would say. And there's a number of kind of cult channels on YouTube. Um, check out the number of views on that. 1.45 million. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. He's got a couple of thumbs down there, though. <laughs> I think some people maybe don't enjoy seeing somebody shock themselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Another cult channel that we wanted to to bring up and that's really uh, also actually drawing quite a bit of attention to safety and the need to think about safety and quality when sourcing electronic parts is uh, Big Clive. And Big Clive is a bit of a cult uh, channel. Actually, he came up in conversation yesterday. I was having someone, someone brought him up. And he tends to do these, um, as uh, David mentioned, the word teardown earlier. A teardown is a a disassembly with attention to how something is put together so that, so that you can get a feeling for how it's put together and how it works. And Big Clive tends to uh, draw schematics. Uh, So he disassembles something, but he actually, uh, he models the circuit on paper. Mm. And so it's a really great learning tool for those people who want to learn a little bit more about circuits. In this one, he's um, this video is called Fixing a Dead LED Lamp, in, in brackets, Interesting Failure. <laughs> start, it's got the 400-volt layer, then it would D lamp, uh, the one in my bathroom, start flickering on and off for a while. It would do it intermittently, then it would work for a while, and then it failed completely. And I left it for a while to see if it would explode, if it was one of the types with the under voltage rated capacitor but it sadly didn't explode so here it is so uh, let's see if we can fix it for a start it's got the 400 volt capacitor in it uh, which is why it didn't do anything nasty oh let's get let's try try this out and see if it lights now so let's get a socket and this is where all my cables just instantly tangle up that's that's a good start okay so uh, here's a socket I shall plug it in. Is it going to light? No, it's not. And it's not responding to being pinged. Okay. 
So let's uh, take a look now. I fully charged that 400 volt capacitor up to the hilt. In fact, we'll just short that out right now with a screwdriver. That had discharged. Good. Right. Nothing really obvious. Now, no obvious bad connections, although obviously I can't just, you know, it'd probably take a bit of metering, this, but there's nothing visible, like in the sense of a solder joint that's uh, a miss. So let's pop this out completely. These just sort of jam in. And see if there's anything really obvious, like a broken solder connection. Okay. Um, yeah, so that video it is really, really well, I mean, it's actually fairly basic in the way it's produced, but it's quite well done. So it's, he's filming his, his hands from above as he takes apart an LED, an LED lamp, and he, he, he ends up kind of tinkering with it and um, fixing it in a really kind of interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that his videos are really interesting because they, they're basically, again, um, drawing our attention to like how we should be careful with some cheap stuff yeah. on the internet. <laughs> Um, yeah, one thing to note, uh, watch the video, please, because <coughs> excuse me, one of the things he does there very carefully is he discharges capacitors, because one of the famous things that happens to, has happened to several restarters who didn't understand how um, some cameras work is they have very high voltage to operate the flash. Yeah. So you take the battery out and naively you touch one of the components, you get a several hundred volt shock, because it still stores charge inside one of the components. So even though you've taken off all the supply sources and everything else, occasionally electronics can bite. Okay, I feel like that's happened to them in their homes and not at our events, so never fear. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes, and that's actually in, one, in our safety guidelines is like battery-powered devices are generally great to go and have and have a go with. However, if you're <laughs> dealing with a flash, that's the main one exception, a flash on a small digital camera. Um, okay, so those are some of the videos that kind of like help the, the maybe the amateur or the person who might want to get get stuck in um, and get start learning about circuits, start learning about electricity. Um, but what's also been recently more amazing, so uh, since the proliferation of, of of well, just video on the internet, is the professional repair information. And we wanted to draw attention to a couple of really uh, really solid uh, repair professionals who share information on the internet really mm-hmm. generously and basically uh, have transformed the well the ability of I would say talented amateurs to, yeah. to, to repair certain kinds of devices. Oh yeah definitely yeah. So this guy is um, well this website is uh, is electronicsrepairfaq.com and it's it's associated with a repairer called Justine Yong. Um, he's a Malaysian repairer who he's created this massive community of professional repairers online around the world. So he has repairers from South Africa, Sri Lanka, the UK sending in videos to him and he, sh- he ends up sharing them on his website. Um, and it's, it's quite amazing. You can buy his videos, uh, sorry, his books on, uh, on PDF and, you know, and they have like a lot more detail, but the videos he shares are pretty amazing. So um, I'm just going to share the, one of the most recent one he just sent, which is about a massive Panasonic plasma screen. And um, it gives you some flavor. Basically, the viewer just sees the front of the TV and then the back that he's taken. He's taken the back right. off. So you just see a massive uh, back of a, of a screen. Closer here, as you can see, the uh, power indicator on this one is blinking 10 times 
and it is blinking ten times before I even press the power button. Uh, just upon plugging the set in, I get this ten blinks. So I want to talk about uh, addressing this particular repair on this one. Um, also, this repair could address uh, a two-blink code after the power button is pressed. So we'll look at that as well. This particular model that I'm working on today does happen to be uh, the THC50FD18. So I've got the back off of the set and I'm going to plug it in. I want you to listen very closely here. I'm going to move the camera up a little bit closer to it here so you can get a little bit better sound. Uh, particularly pay attention to the first two clicks and then ver very shortly after the third click. So we get three quick clicks in succession which means uh, the 15 volts is not there and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cool the FET oscillator, FET driver that supplies uh, the pulses to the two uh, FET transistors, the FET transistors that run uh, the transformer that produces the 15 volt standby. Okay, so the average person wow. <laughs> may be a bit a, a bit lost here. Um, although the the video that follows is actually quite straightforward, he shows how he goes straight to the component and um, and fixes it. And so this is a good example of like more potentially more expert repair information mm -hmm. on the internet. But what I like about the professionals is that the methodical way, although they may not have the greatest production value, the methodical way that they describe yeah. and show how repair is done you won't get that from the guy filming on his mobile yeah. well also the other thing about it if if you watch that video it describes exactly what model numbers it applies to what other faults are similar to this one and so on so there's a level of elaboration there and so that solves a lot of people's problems it's not just that one particular model that one particular problem he's generalizing it out to a whole range of problems on all tvs with that kind of basic yeah. Same set of electronics. Yeah, and you'll find in relation to screens, especially there's a there's a real like massive ecosystem of forums and places that people can can get help, and it can go into a real level of detail. Oh, um, yeah. So people are you know while these screens, while some of them actually are h quite high value, but even you'll find detail about older screens that don't have the same value. It's just that people um, there's a real community of people sharing sharing information. Um, there another really interesting professional repairer we wanted to draw attention to uh, on the internet is um, is this firm called uh, iPad Rehab uh, and um, the, uh, the the one of the, the founders uh, Jessa is is kind of she's been kind of growing in her profile online in the past year um, she made a video about the infamous error 53 on right. iPhones um, that got her a lot of attention but before that she was already sharing quite a bit of information about how to professionally deal with really tough issues with with uh, with mobiles so here she talks about how to professionally repair iPhone water damage and she has a bit of an issue with people that do it halfway or that don't do it well. So she's, in a sense, promoting kind of a professional ethics yeah. about repair, which is really cool. Um, here we go. All right. Today we're going to talk about water damage. I hate water damage. It's really difficult to give it um, an effective professional treatment. You can spend a lot of time on it and not get a great result. And 
part of the problem with water damage is that the first person to see that phone really has the best chance of recovery. If you have a phone that's still wet, then you can almost always get that phone back. As long as you do the, the best job from the get-go, that's your best chance of getting the phone restored. By the time it gets to me, it's, it's a, a big problem. So I want to give you some information and show you some things that might help you do a better job with your water damage repairs as the first man on the scene. So I have in here um, an example phone that we're going to go through this together and do a water damage recovery and see what happens so you can kind of see what it looks like. So this board comes to me with a note, and the note says, backlight went out after water treatment. So this board has already been treated by a shop professionally for water damage, and this is what it looks like when it comes to me. This is what the back side of the board looks like when it comes to me. Okay, so the back side of the board clearly has still like some discoloration, um, and she basically goes on to say that the, that the outfit that did the first repair did not fully disassemble it and did mm -hmm. not do a good job and basically compromised the device and that she'll have to go on for hours and hours cleaning. And her videos are really cool because she, she often does them under a microscope and when she works yeah. with a microscope and like really fine level of, of, of component level repair. And I think it's not for everybody. Like, I don't actually know anybody that does that kind of repair at home. No, no. But on the other hand, it gives you an idea of some good example is quite a few of us restarters have what's known as a helping hands, which is basically a micro, um, not a microscope, a magnifying glass on a stand, simply so that you can get a better view of these tiny things. Because even with perfect eyesight, there are screws that are less than a millimeter wide. Yeah. About two millimeters long. They're literally like, almost like a piece of dust. Yeah. And some of these miniaturized devices, the boards are all so tight and miniaturized that you actually do often need yeah. help. Um, another one we wanted to, it's not so high tech, but it's a really interesting repair business here in the UK that repairs these uh, high value hair straighteners, uh, by a, but that are manufactured by GHD. And, um, this is really generous of this firm. I mean, they must make, quite good money um just people post them the hair straighteners they fix them they post them back but this company has uh put a lot of information online for the person who might want to try at home so we're just going to play a little bit back here and this is more at the, at the within the reach of like let's say a yeah. restarter or a restart party goer um this video brought to you by ghd-repair.co.uk is going to show you how to replace the cable on a pair of mark 5 ghd hair straighteners so the first step is to make life easier for ourselves later. We want to mark this collar at the end so we know the correct orientation. So what I'm going to do is using a permanent marker, I'm just going to put a little line on there in, in line with that uh, crack in the plastic and uh, that'll help us later. The second step is to remove the hinge cap. So to do that we get a flat bladed screwdriver and we insert the flat bladed screwdriver between the hinge cap and the strainers. The hinge cap will then just pop off. If you do, do that for both sides, as I've done earlier, um, to reveal the uh, screws. Okay, so he basically um, just shows us how to get into a seemingly kind of impenetrable and oh, yeah. um, difficult device um, and kind of empowers someone to think about, okay, well, maybe I can do that myself. Um, lastly, we just wanted to share that there's a repair information videos in almost every language you can imagine. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, so it's not just an English-only ecosystem. And I wanted to share this video from India where basically what we see is a hair iron uh, spread out across a table, a very traditional, older-looking one. 
on. And here you go. Here's some information in Hindi about how to repair hair on. So there you go. Um, there's information to be had in almost any language to repair stuff. And in fact, some of the older, like, legacy equipment, it might actually be interesting to go and yeah. search for it in other countries, not not the rich countries of Europe and North America. Um, well, we've been discussing the repair ecosystem online. Um, I would say we haven't even scratched the surface, would you, Dave? Oh, no. <laughs> One little thing that occurred to you while we're thinking about foreign language videos, YouTube automatically subtitles some videos now. So even if it is in a foreign language, it's worth checking. You may get subtitles. That's a good point. And um, we know that, like, uh, well, we've gotten a lot of good stuff from Russian hackers and hackers around oh, yeah. the world so who work in different languages. So... Um, well, I think there's only more that we can do with online uh, repair information. One of the things we focus on, on our wiki, and you can find on our wiki, the restartproject.org slash wiki, is kind of a meta-level information. So not based on a particular make or model, but helping people learn how they might go about repairing different kinds of devices. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to Restart Radio, um, and you can find out more about the Restart Project and our community repair events at the restartproject.org and we're here every Tuesday at 1:30 p.m. until next week.